Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and we have Nick Wolf behind the camera, and the three of us work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Main Line. And Stacy Mitchell is walking in as we speak. So if you get some value out of the show this week, do us a favor. Give us a like on YouTube. Follow our YouTube channel and subscribe. We've got to stream it every single week. And what we're going to be talking about today, the same issues we have been talking about, we're going to go a little deeper because especially as the Sitzer Burnett case is going to trial. It's actually on trial right now. We're, we're getting debriefs every day of what's happening with this lawsuit. We're going to spend the last two segments going over that. But first, we're going to be talking about the 8% mortgage rates. At the end of last week, it's <laughs> a good sound effect. I didn't know we had those. <laughs> so, got, me, got me off guard there, Sarah. Good job. So... As, as, fun, as much as we're joking around about this, uh, rates hit just over 8% the end of last week. Now, they have been trending downwards a little bit. Like today, I think we saw a quote of 7.75%. So we're seeing that they're kind of in that higher range for sure. And really, you know, if, if you look at it, and there's a lot of people that are talking about this, whether it's Ryan Serhant, Housing Wire, all sorts of folks, a lot of people are saying, hey, we told you this was going to happen. It shouldn't be a surprise because there was an excessive amount of cash pumped into the system when rates were lower, creating the current economic situation that we're in. And there's a lot of ramifications that go along with this. So before we even get into all that, ladies, I'd love to hear what you're hearing from your clients about the current rates that we're getting quoted over the past three, four business days here. Well, um, you know, I think it. It still kind of ticks back to for the motivated individuals, um, you know, this isn't going to stop them from doing something Um, for people that were kind of on the fence or maybe pushing a little bit beyond where their their most like comfortable price point would have been. It's time to kind of reevaluate, you know, what price point we're looking at and bring it back to the monthly payment as always. And that's my main focus right now yep. is just on monthly payments. So I try to pivot and refocus on the importance and what their mission is. Mm-hmm. Mission is to buy a house. So let's get down to what are you, what are you comfort, what are your monthly payments going to be? What do mm-hmm. they look like to you? Let's not focus on the interest rate because that's it's there's always going to be an interest rate if you're borrowing money. Mm-hmm. So um, and then I bring it back to well. You know, what is your interest rate on your car loan? And most people don't even know that information. Right. What are what are the interest rates on your credit cards? Most people don't know that. Mm-hmm. So then it, it kind of like they see the light like, OK, I get it. You know, <laughs> it's like, let's let's focus on the house. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on getting you into a comfortable monthly payment and just stay there because you can refinance down the road if necessary. I know there's lenders that we work with. That can do recasting of the loan. We learned all about that, which is a great option. Um, so I think that, like Sarah said, if there's motivation and there's a need to move, people are going to move no matter what. doesn't right. matter. Right. Really well said. Um, I, I was watching uh, something Ryan Serhant put out there that he said that the advice for folks is that you know, people think because rates are going up, 
prices are going to come down. And that could not be further from the truth because the inventory is not there. We still have a supply and demand issue going on. In the suburban counties, we're at a 1.3 to 1.4 month supply. In Philadelphia, it's 4.11 months. That means that if no new homes came on the market, that's how long it would take for all the existing inventory to sell, just so everyone understands that. So until, you know, in Philadelphia, it's a little different for sure, but that also, the the neighborhoods are very different. They're very diverse there. Mm -hmm. It's got to get to six months for this to to be a, a buyer and seller evenly matched negotiating market. So until that happens... You're not going to see prices go the other way whatsoever. Prices are up 4.65% year over year. A lot of people are predicting that's going to be another 2 to 4% appreciation next year and that the next five years we see 2 to 5% appreciation year over year. Um, and we can share all this data. Um, and Nick, I'll, in fact, I'll send you slides you can put up on the, on the, post, uh, the post edit here. So until that happens, prices aren't going to go the other way. And that means there, there's two things you can really look at when it comes to cost. Right there's the price and then there's the rate, um, and and the other things are going to be fixed. How much down money, those sort of things. You can renegotiate the rate. It may just take time. It may you may have to wait till they come down a little bit, which a lot of people are pretty clear they are. You can't renegotiate the price, and that's real money. Uh, Steve Harney talked about this, where a lot of folks are talking about well, equity isn't real money. Well, and when you there's cash out refis, like you can use that money if you need to. It builds net worth. I'm not saying that's a great financial decision. But it's no different than when people borrow against their 401k to buy a house. So like you pay a penalty to access that money, but you you have the money. So that that conversation is really important. I mean, we were um, uh, and Andrea Ferry brought this up today. Like, do people know what their credit card and and, and right. car and car payments are? And people buy cars like it. I mean, it's like a snap decision. Right. They don't put a lot of thought into it. Right. Have you seen people do that before? Like, they literally like their car breaks. They only just go buy a new one like the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagine if that happened with your house, like the roof leaked <laughs> and we're getting a new one. Yeah, right. But, the, but people don't think that way. Right. And and so I, I do agree that's the right mindset. Now, the flip side here is that we've seen builder confidence fall to 40, which is the lowest point. And, and this is a, a scale they use for the National Association of Home Builders. The lowest point since January of this year. Um, the president of the Mortgage Bankers Association said, uh, they expect rates to level off and maybe even fall over the next quarter. And mortgage application activity is now at, at its lowest level in 29 years. So with all of this happening, how are you dealing with your clients right now? Like one thing to say, talk about the payment. But what's your mindset around client interactions right now? Because and we actually talked a lot about this at the training today, too, that uh, uh, Sarah was at. And I want to get a feel for how you're approaching your business now versus when rates were maybe even just a point lower a couple months ago. Right. Well, I guess before I get into that, but jumping back to the monthly payment again. Do it, yeah. One interesting takeaway from um, the meeting that we had earlier today was show, okay, this is when you do that estimated closing costs, use like the current rate, and then you could show this is what it was when it was 7%, which like doesn't exactly matter because it's not there. But also, this is what it is at 8. This is what it is at 9. Mm-hmm. Like, and 10. We, and Even 10. go up to 10. Mm-hmm. That, was, to, that was the right. training. Like, we don't know where it's going. We don't know how high it will go. We don't know when it will fall. We don't know by how much in either direction. Like, there are experts out there that can predict it. But until it happens and until you lock into it, it's all talk, Right. But for people who maybe are nervous that like, you know, well, am I if I get it at a seven point seven five percent interest rate, like 
what does that say about me? You know, like, what well, says you got a house? You know, like, but <laughs> like in terms of like comparing it to <laughs> right. like what other people mm-hmm. got at different times. Because um, I mean, there were, when they were, when rates initially started going up, when they hit 5%, people were like not happy about it. So like, if that breakdown had existed, like now they're probably pretty happy that they locked in at that 5%. So it's all kind of relative to some degree, but then, well, you know, show them like, all right, this, this is what the current rate is. What does it do if it goes up? Let's say you wait and, um, you know, now all of a sudden it jumps a whole point higher. Like, can you still afford the house at that point? Because, like, if you can right now, like, maybe it's not the worst move if, you know, if you're motivated and the different pieces, like, make sense for you to do so. It is funny that people think that they're not being smart or, you know, if they, well, what, you know, my friend bought it 5% and it's... Well, I guess I would be really an idiot because I bought my house at 12% interest. <laughs> and right. I mean, I know some of our parents have bought it at 18% interest. Right, so right. what, were they knuckleheads or something? Right. But no, um, I don't think that people really go around and, and you know, put their interest rates on the cards and say, hey, I'm Joe and this was my interest rate right. that I paid on my house. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. You don't do that, Stacey? No. <laughs> Get the house. Right. Get the house. That is the smart move. Right. Right. Get the house. Um, then you start to build the equity. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows, and it's uh, everywhere you look, real estate is one of the best investments, mm-hmm. no matter what. It does, you know, ebb and flow and it has peaks and valleys, but for the most part, it's been the most consistent, um, uh, you know, financial bene- financially beneficial investment for the majority of Americans who have purchased homes here. Mm-hmm. Or people, the majority of people who purchased homes, um, so it's it's always a good investment, and that is what makes you a smart person when you buy real right. estate. Well, there's a study out there uh, that shows the average homeowner's net worth <clears throat> is forty times higher than that of a renter. So I love that. You know, th- I mean, these are facts. Like this, this is documented and proven. So the thing to think about here is that, yeah, rates are going to be high. Now, now here's what agents shouldn't do. Hey, it's a great time to buy. Like you, you can't you can't just say that. You say, I mean, if if someone is serious about moving, here's the current climate. Inventory's up, but it's still historically low. There's going to be less buyers interested at eight percent rates than there will be if rates were six and a half percent. So you might be facing more competition. And knowing that the thing we do know and that, that is really important is prices are not going down. That's the thing that everyone needs to be talking about. And I'd be downloading those charts that we we share all the time. I mean, I know we, we train on this constantly at our organization. Of download the chart, show them, don't tell them. Right? That that that's one of the mistakes that a lot of folks make. And it, it, actually, Barbara Corcoran, uh, Corcoran, excuse me, she got a lot of like backlash about saying it was a great time to buy, or it was the very best time to buy a house just uh, earlier in the month on an Instagram post that she made even though mortgage rates did reach a 23-year high. And that's someone that's very well-respected in the industry. So you cannot be going around telling people this is a great time to buy. It's, hey, Stacy. so tell me what's important to you about moving to a four-bedroom single-family home. Or Sarah, tell me what's important to you about going to the suburbs. And let them talk, right? Ask the right questions. See what they say. And the other thing agents should not be doing is they say they're 6 to 12 months out, like, don't just stop on that relationship. Too many people, if they don't like the first house or the conversation doesn't go well, that's the end of the relationship. You just converted your very first lead that you got with the, with, with the team a couple months ago, right? Mm-hmm. You had one from 
it was like 2018 or something you were telling me. Mm-hmm. This is where it's important to ask the right questions and see who's just even in a, the mindset about transacting, whether it's selling or buying. Because if you're not doing that, you're, you're really not helping people and guiding them because there's a lot of confusion in the market right now. And if Barbara Corcoran, who is real estate icon, right, she's on Shark Tank, if she can get backlash about saying some of this nonsense, then the typical real estate agent out there should be watching and seeing what the reaction is so they don't shoot themselves in the foot and hurt their business because that, that turns off clients every single time. Right. What are some of the other things agents should or should not be saying in this particular situation, or what do consumers need to hear right now? <clears throat> I think they need like some motivation, um, not motivation. They need um, like positivity because um, like nobody wants to feel like even like let's say they are like a motivated person that needs to do this. They don't want to feel like they're making the wrong move. So I think, yes, like giving them the facts, showing them that this is a good investment um, and that, yes, like at this point if they're going to focus on rates or whatever at this particular moment, money costs a little bit more than it did before, but we don't know where it's going next and like bringing it back to like, can you do it? And like, why are you doing it? And, um, is this the right move for you and your family? Um, and if it is, let's find it, you know, and there are, you know, diamonds in the rough and there are Mm -hmm. like, there also will be sellers that, um, maybe they're on a really tight timetable. So something pops up, and you're able to negotiate something out or like always put in the offer, always talk to the agent and find out, um, you know, if now in the current climate where we are, if there's a house that pops up, that's perfect, but it's a little, it's priced a little too high or you can't make the numbers quite work, reach out to the agent and be like, Hey, this is our situation. Like, is there, is there anything we can do here? Maybe that seller timeline is more important to them than the dollar amount that you're going to offer. So Mm -hmm. like, Always make the call and find out what the situation is because that's helping out your client and it's helping out that seller. Um, so give it a try, yeah. I guess, would be my my advice. Like be positive and try. Definitely. That's perfect. I love that because you don't know. Right. You don't know. And if agents ever say, oh, you, that your offer is not going to get accepted, it's too low or it's too this, it's too that, that's you want to look for another agent. Mm-hmm. Um and if an agent tells you that, oh, no, wait till next year to buy, maybe you should talk to another agent. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we should be so hyper-focused on getting clients the most accurate, up-to-date information mm-hmm. um, and listen to what their needs are and listen to them. Mm-hmm. Every situation is different. Yeah. And I love how you said, yeah, look for the opportunity. And it could the house could be a little overpriced. And you know that, you know, we can... Probably we probably have a motivated seller and we have a motivated buyer. Let's right. let's make a deal, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. Because I mean, I think that sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in the like even just offering what it's listed at. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. find out what the situation is and right. and give it a try. I mean, I've been surprised by offers that have gone through in the past. Yep. You know, like yep. because it's it's what both sides needed and it mm-hmm. it was able to work. And sometimes uh, if people are sitting around waiting for ho- houses to have a price drop, that that's probably not a smart idea. Present your offer yep. before the price drop because sometimes those price drops create the feeding frenzy again. Right. Yeah. It's a strange, fascinating anomaly that happens, right. but it does. Yep. And uh, I just experienced that with a listing we had. Um, you know, we, it sat, sat, sat. People were afraid to put the offers in because it was 
price. We we did a price reduction, and guess what? We had multiple offers. Mm-hmm. So do put your offer in before the reduction, right? Because then you have a better shot of negotiating everything, right? There's a really critical way to explain that to a consumer because we want to ask those right questions. So hey, like Stacy, can I tell you what makes me nervous about waiting until? making an offer until you see a price adjustment and then you would say yes right and hey what makes me nervous is that if you're seeing that and getting excited what do you think the other buyers are, are gonna are gonna do when they see a price adjustment and and the most savvy and then let the let the client answer like you want to really get people there on their own and then you take it one step further and say something like the most savvy home buyers they're the ones that are making lower offers than you might feel comfortable with because you don't know what's going to happen when you get a contract in front of a seller and you don't know what they're thinking. So do you want to be like everybody else trying to navigate this market or do you want to do something differently that we know can get you a better result than you've been experiencing? Mm-hmm. And if you say it like that, I mean, they're going to write the offer. Mm-hmm. But it, it can't be like, hey, write the offer. Right? Like You have to be very careful how you're talking to folks. And for all the agents listening, it, it's about asking more questions to control the conversation so you can get the answers that they want. Not It's not about you. It's about the buyer wants a house, right? The seller wants to sell. And if you can ask them questions that you already know the answers to, like th- that's where you can really guide people through this confusing market and this 8% rate climate. So what do you think about this? I, this is something that just came out from a Redfin report. It's related to this. Um, we've been talking about affordability constantly uh, and the required household income is up 15% year over year to buy a home. But the typical U.S. wage growth is only up 5% over the same time period. And this Redfin report shows that the typical American household is $40,000 shy of what they need to earn to afford a medium-priced home. So how are you dealing with that in the marketplace, affordability? Are people pulling back from the market? Are they tapping into you know, family members for gift money? I mean, are they looking at 2-1 buy-downs or some other financing? What 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 is the affordability component here? Because it's easy for us to say, focus on the payment, but sometimes people can't afford the new payment. And that, that that's a reality, and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, I think getting down to what actually is keeping them from it, have they looked into, if it is like an affordability thing, um, and not every, you know, probably the the place that doing a 2-1 buy-down is not going to work is day one, one market for a house that has a lot of offers mm-hmm. in, right? Yeah. But opening yourself up to, um, all right, this one's been up a little bit longer. This one, we might have a shot, you know? And, like, yes, nobody wants to get a house that they don't want. So I'm, like, in no way <laughs> suggesting that. But, um, you know, maybe being a little bit more open to – maybe doing some projects down the line. Like if you're looking for something that's completely turnkey, I'm not saying go get something that's a full reno. Like that mm-hmm. does not make sense. But maybe seeing where there's some opportunity, where you can like have some, like maybe it's not the ideal like turnkey exact home that you ultimately want in the current state that it is. But could it get there? Like, and does all of the stuff need to be done right away? Or are there things that could wait a little bit? Um, and then maybe they haven't considered um, and like sometimes the financial discussions can be a little bit uncomfortable. Right. Um, But maybe there is like gift money that could come from family members or, um, or something like that, that maybe encourage them to find out Um, because there are, I feel like different times where you're, you have buyers that you're taking out. And then later they mention like, 
well, my parents did say they would help with some of the closing costs or some of the down payment money mm-hmm. or some of the some of those pieces. So maybe just like encouraging them to have that conversation and then to find out exactly, you know, where does that get us and what does that do for us and the search? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, most of my clients that I've been working with right now, um, they don't have uh, an affordability issue at this point. I think that, um, I mean, I have worked with folks in the past, so I understand that, and we do try to be creative in, in what we can do and how we can do it. Um, and can we get a seller's assist? Can we do certain mm-hmm. things? Mm-hmm. But the folks that I'm working with at the moment, uh, we're, I don't find ourselves in that situation at this point. Um, if folks have 20% to put down and they're going a little bit higher, then maybe we do a 10% and they keep money in their pocket for renovations, mm-hmm. things like that. So there are creative ways to do to move the money around, basically, if, if they have the funds for down payments. If they're very close and it's, you know, like a 3% conventional or a 3.5% FHA, then you you have to, it's a little more difficult. It can be done. (laughs) It's just a little bit more difficult. And I think the agents that are more creative and in helping their clients with, you know, selecting different areas and and different homes and maybe off-market opportunities, Mm -hmm. they're the ones that are going to be more successful. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, it's, don't give up on the relationship either. Rates are going to come down. So that, that, imagine if you're that person that they just say, Sarah, I, I just can't afford this place. Like, it's not it's not a it's not a comfort level thing. It's just we, we can't do this. Right. And if, you know, and, and they still want to transact, they have that 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 sort of motivation or that that need to to, to buy a home or sell a home. You can't give up on the long game anymore. And and this is uh, one of the things that happened today was they uh, people were asked to raise their hand if they were in the business less than three years, right? And it was and they don't know a different market than this. This is how things were for a very long time, even when rates were still lower, is that you have to play the long game because you can't coach readiness with clients. They've got to be ready on their own. And if there's there's a condition like a financial component, well, things can change. You can get a promotion at work, right? Mm-hmm. You can you know, get a gift. Like you said, there might be like an inheritance coming. I mean, you, you don't know what's they get a new job. Uh, there's all these things that can go on. So if you're focusing on relationships, instead of just trying to close sale after sale after sale, which a lot of agents over the past three years, that's all they wanted to do because they didn't have the, they didn't have time, right? Even though I would argue that's a time management problem. They weren't building relationships with people. And now they're having a tough time in your business. You two do a great job at building relationships with people. And that shows that's why you're you know, have strong businesses here. And that's a big mistake agents are making right now. And consumers care about that stuff again, because it's not this run and gun hustle market that we're used to, even from like 14 months ago, like October is when things really started to change rates went up to 7% for the first time. So now that we're at eight, you're going to be working with people longer. So I'd argue you need to build longer relationships. Someone says 12 months, I'm like, great. I'll be in touch with you every quarter. And I'm going to send you constant email updates. And I'm going to be doing all these other things to be your agent of choice when the time comes. And it, like 12 months can go by pretty quickly. It does. Know? Like What happened okay. in the last 12 months in your life, Sarah? Like think about it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um and if you always have that pipeline of 12 months out, that means you always you always have business and people that are getting ready to to transact again. So um you know, it's kind of Staying on top of who said what when, which, you know, put it in Boomtown, put it in your CRM, right. like put a tag on it um, and then 
continue to to make that call and to, to follow up because if they're not ready, they're not ready. <laughs> right. And and give them that bring value each time you have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. What's going on in the market now? They might not be paying attention because life happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just to give them a quick update on what's happening in the market and just to, you know, be that friendly voice on the phone. Right. Uh, I think is a, a good reminder that you'll be there and ready for them when they're ready. Right. Well said. So that's how you deal with 8% rates from the agent side and the consumer side and get educated is, is probably the most important thing. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about what's happened so far with the commission lawsuit that is in court right now as we speak. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents, and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals, and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX main line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's TomTool.com. Sell your home for more, and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. For the best local mortgage service and great rates on your money, look no further than Mortgage America. We've been operating in the greater Philadelphia area for 40 years with a focus on smooth, easy access to home purchasing. Whether you're a first-time buyer, upsizing or downsizing, or just refinancing, we have programs for you. We also have closing cost assistance programs and access to subsidized interest rates. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. To learn more, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender. NMLS 128501. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax main line welcome back to tool time real estate radio on wwdb 860 am i'm tom tool she's stacy mitchell she's sarah time and we've got nick wolf behind the camera and we all work at the tom tool sales group at remax main line the number one remax team in pennsylvania since 2018 and we're streaming live every week on youtube specifically as well as instagram and facebook if you get some value out of what we're talking about here Subscribe to the YouTube show, 
Give us a like or even drop a comment with some questions that you have. And we've got this posted on our Instagram as well where you can tune in with the link. So we are back talking about these commission lawsuits. And this has been pretty interesting that this is now in court because everyone's all, you know, when, when before you go to court, you don't really know what the other side has. I mean, I, I've never, I've had to go to court once um, for an eviction and that was, and, and it was still ongoing. I haven't even actually been there yet, but that that's what's happening. So I, I've never actually had to go to court and see what goes on. What I have found out is that when you're involved in lawsuits, that people don't, you don't really know what information or evidence that they have. I mean, that's, that's kind of been my experience and, and, and it's, it's very interesting. So this these lawsuits, uh, they, they went to court the first day of the uh, of the courtroom hearings were the last week. Um, we talked briefly about it last week, Stacey and I. So here's what happened since then. Um, and our friends at BAM did a nice job breaking down what happened on day four, which was Thursday. And this was the first time since the trial began that we could hear from the plaintiffs taking the stands. So there was five plaintiffs that took the stand. And um, I'm going to just go through some of the stuff that they said. Um, I also know a lot of the things that were in question when they and they 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 did video depositions for uh, the CEO of Remax, um, the CEO of Keller Williams, all, all, all a lot of folks. And the big thing that came up was that there were commission rates in the scripts that they used for training. And the comment across the board was. That was used as a training tool. It's not what we talk about. And and I think that's, I mean, I don't know what, you guys have been to many trainings where there's like scripts and dialogues and that sort of thing. Is that kind of the, the consensus that like the numbers are put in there just to help you work through the scripts and the training? Yeah. For the most part, yeah. We use generic, fictitious things, you know, for a lot of things. Well, they use specific numbers. That, mm-hmm. was, that was the big, that, yeah. was, that was apparently the big thing in this deposition. Yeah. I don't think that's that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... The first one, this is Holly Ellis, right? So she testified that she paid a 6% total commission on the home sale reference in the case, and she ended up with um, a net equity of around $18,000 in her home before paying commissions to the listing agent and the buyer's agent. And um, th- they, they noted that the uh, buyer's agent's commission added up to 20.55% of the equity and the commissions for both took up to 40%. And they said it was a hard pill to swallow that we would walk away with so little. Um, apparently, before she learned about the lawsuit, she thought that sharing the commission was a standard practice. She wasn't told and never knew the commission was negotiable and testified that had she known, she would have gone in a different direction. In one of her statements, Ellis made it clear that she's not against buyer agents. She just doesn't believe it should be her responsibility as the seller to pay for one. The buyer who chose them and who they're working for should pay them. What do you think about this? Wow. Um, yeah, it's, I guess there was a lack of communication between right. her and her agent. But Wait, do we know what state this was in? Does that? Um, I believe it's in Missouri. Okay. Um, nevertheless, there is a listing contract that's signed. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, all the details are in the listing contract. Mm -hmm. And I know that we explain those details to our clients when we sit down and talk about it. We tell them how the professional fee is shared. Right. Um, It is always negotiable because we negotiate that on a regular basis, I would say. Um, So, yeah. So I think that I know a lot of times 
especially when it comes to uh, certain legal documents, ignorance is not a defense. Mm-hmm. So I understand that she feels maybe she could have um, had more, made more money, maybe, maybe not. Because if you're not sharing in the professional fee, maybe you're not getting the amount of buyers through your property too. So right. it's all speculation and, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but I don't think that claiming that you didn't know these things is really valid if you signed, you know, represent, if you signed those documents to have right. representation and what was in those documents. And I mean, I think that I know like here for us, when you take a listing, you provide a estimated net to seller sheet mm-hmm. that shows this is what you're ultimately going to walk away with as well as break down. There's a breakdown line by line of of where it goes. It's not just like a big question mark and then this is what you walk with, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the time that they execute a contract and accept a seller's offer, updated numbers down to the date that you settle, the purchase price, all of that, including the commission, is on there. And you see that number. So now, I mean, at that point, um, it would be a little late in the game to say I want to renegotiate the the commission. But, like, I guess there wouldn't be anything stopping you from asking that then. You know, like, it's it shouldn't be a – like, it's it shouldn't be a surprise at settlement the amount of the check that you're getting. Like, that mm-hmm. should have been coming for a little bit. Um, also, like, I – I completely understand that when you're not in this business and you're not doing this every day, you may not know what can be negotiated and what can't. However, there is the internet, and I feel like there maybe should be some level of accountability on the on a person that's engaging in such a large financial decision to maybe do a little bit of research or talk to some or like I mean, I don't know if I'm like wording this correctly, but like there are tools that they could use to find out. I mean, a quick search of like, hey, what what should I know going into a when meeting a real estate agent? What questions should I ask? What's negotiable? Like, I mean, I think a 15-minute a search could have like provided some of those answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as far as the seller net sheet, we have to provide an updated one for even the slightest change. Oh, yeah. If there, if we yep. that that's the law in yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah, if if we move the the closing date one day, in either direction, yeah. you have to provide a new yeah. one because you, then you're you're talking about a couple dollar change. So right. you have to do that, and they have to review it and sign. Right. So well, that's why I was asking like state because mm. um right. like I know here like yeah like if you if you like update something in our in our inner office loop here before you have it in like hey we did this like it's like uh-uh. where's the update yeah where's the where's the updated you know that sheet um yep. yeah so it's like those numbers are and they're not like hidden numbers like they're the bold big mm-hmm. that's where your eye is going to that's what you're walking away with it's clear it yeah. has the transfer taxes it has the prorated taxes it has everything on that sheet mm-hmm. so it's very clear right Okay, so I, I tend to agree with you both on that. So here, here's the next one. Um, there was, uh, let me see here. All right, so this guy's name is Jared Bright. He purchased his first home. He was a cash-strapped buyer, but he was helped by a down payment grant from the state first-time home buyer program. Asked why he joined the suit, um, Jared Bright answered, after my first experience selling a home, I was exposed for the first time to how it works and didn't necessarily think it was fair. 
Um, a friend told him about the suit, and he offered to join. He testified that while he was satisfied with the service that he received from his agent, he learned after joining the suit that he ended up paying more than the 5.5% he agreed to, with 2.7% going to the buyer agent. And he reviewed the uh, sales settlement statement. His attorneys did the math, and he'd actually been charged 6%, um, meaning he didn't look over his settlement sheet. Um, and it was... Um, it, apparently that made him feel stupid uh, when, when this happened. And then they went on to say that, um, and, and this is from now, bam, it was a missed opportunity to highlight how compensating a buyer agent can actually work in a seller's favor. Um, it was more to, he was, uh, that they went over in the cross-examination that, uh, that this, def- uh, this plaintiff said, Jarrett Bright, he was fully aware he'd be paying a commission that his listing agent would be paying the buyer agent. Um, at one point, uh, they summed up his uh, approach as that's the deal. And then on a redirect, they kept saying that over and over, which I didn't really understand. Um, and they went on to say that um, he, if he felt the listing agent was acting in good faith and fulfilled their side of the, uh, of, of the deal, and he answered yes. So I, I don't even understand what these people are talking about. Right. Oh, my gosh. They just want to join a lawsuit, right? Thinking that they can, it's, it's got to come down to money. I mean, right. people are motivated by money. Why would yeah. you, if you, okay, so he said he, he felt like he was represented well by his agent. Mm-hmm. That was a yes. He said that he, yeah, he was, he paid 6%, but again, he signed off on the final Alta. Yeah. You have to sign off on those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, here's another I mean, I, one. Well, I could see being annoyed by, like, you know, like, and again, it is his responsibility to double-check all of those numbers. Um, and, I mean, I think for the most part, a majority of my sellers, they, like, they mm-hmm. do really look at it, and they'll call and be like, hey, what is this? Mm-hmm. And, like, sometimes it's more of, like, a title question or, like, whatnot, and then you have to, like, get the answer for them. But, like, so it is their responsibility. I guess I would be annoyed if I was told it was going to be a five and a half percent and then I paid six percent like I think that would bother me that's correctable yeah like you Mm -hmm. can go back to the title company and and like hey this wasn't right I need to get re like that's something Mm -hmm. we've had to do that on multiple occasions whether it's an error on one side or the other but there's a form that gets signed by the title company at least in Pennsylvania again I don't know Missouri law you're going to work with the title company to correct errors and omissions mm-hmm. during the settlement process. Yes. So liter- literally, it's it's signed document that should have been remedied. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this person didn't pursue it, and it sounds like, I mean, it, it, it's very interesting. Yeah. Here's another one. Jeremy Keel. So they sold their house for 205 paid a 6% commission, 3 to the KW agent he hired, and 3 to the buyer's agent. After going through the home selling process, this person thought it was unfair he was paying for the agent whose job it was to help the buyers get a better deal, i.e. negotiate or reduce the amount that they would make from the sale. Um, And then he was cross-examined for KW, pointing out that this seller did not pay the commission when he was a buyer, adding that in one purchase, this particular seller paid only a 5% commission and asking if he renegotiated the rate. The seller, this guy Keel, answered, no, I didn't know you could negotiate the commission, but he already negotiated a commission in a previous transaction. Mm. Um, and uh, he noted that some of the commission figures were already filled in. Um, and then they presented a purchase contract that was signed after this uh, uh, Jeremy Keel had crossed out arbitration and class action and jury trial waiver clauses um, and... 
before signing, meaning he negotiated terms in the contract. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, again, very interesting um, that, uh, that, that, that that was done. So uh, what do you think about that? If you're crossing out clauses in a, in a contract, you're reading the contract. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to say, well, I read this part of the contract, but I didn't read this part of the contract. I made adjustments to this part of the contract, but I didn't know about this part of the contract. Right. It's hard to, I don't know, that that one's hard for me. Well, does that also mean, like, if he crossed out the section about, go, like, taking it to trial and not going to mediation, does that mean everyone else, did, like, or this now because it's like uh This was a case. different contract. And, and okay. again, I don't know the Missouri contracts, um, but, uh, you know, some companies here locally – they use their own contract. We yeah. use the PAR contract. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big difference there. Yeah. All right, here's the last one uh, that, that we'll go over, and then we'll, we'll take another break here. So this was from um, Rhonda Burdett. So she was one of the plaintiffs. Um, she testified she hired a listing agent from Home Services uh, to sell their home, and they the, in the contract, the agent asked to circle the commission uh, we had 6% written in, and the other options were 7, 8, 9, 10%, or blank. Um, so uh, that, that, that she took issue with 6% was the lowest, uh, listed her home for whatever price, paid 6% of it. Um, and then she also testified that she considered working with a discount broker, which charged a 1% listing broker commission, but required sellers to pay the buyer agent a 3% commission. That seemed backwards to her. And she said they had no problem paying for an agent to sell her house, but they were not happy about having to pay the buyer's agent. Um, and then they uh, asked about what price should be uh, recommended, and apparently the discount broker recommended a lower price. Um, but, I mean, this person obviously talked to multiple people, and the commission was negotiable. So what do you think about this? Oh, Rhonda. <laughs> Jeez. So she wasn't happy that when she was going to list with the discount broker, but the discount broker told her she would still have to pay a 3% to the buyer's agent, right? Mm-hmm. She wasn't happy with that either. Right. So that's a 4% commission, mm-hmm. right? So she wasn't happy with that. Yeah. Um. So paying the 6%, obviously she wasn't happy with that either. So why didn't she just go for the 4% person? Like or, there's options. There was, there was an other box for the listing agent that was not the discount broker. What, 6, 7, 8, 10... Other mm-hmm. or other, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. <laughs> fill in the blank. <laughs> Negotiate. Like that one actually, well, like six was filled in the blank. Oh, okay. But th- there was mm-hmm. an option to like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, like that one actually is probably the most straightforward in terms of this is negotiable because mm-hmm. they were telling them because there was options. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they presented it in a way of I'm giving you the I've gone ahead and circled the lowest option for you for what I have listed here. But clearly it's negotiable if they're putting that out there. Right. And she did speak to the discount broker and it would have been a 4%. Right. Yeah. Because it was, they charged 1% listing broker. 3% would be going to the buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. Or you could do FISBO or you could, you know. Right. List it that way. Right. Right. Craigslist or something. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, and then so yes, I, I tend. I mean, they were talking to multiple people, so clearly, mm-hmm. at some point, it's negotiable. So, 
Um, the the last point here, so and then we'll we'll take a break and we'll talk about what happened uh, tomorrow. Is that the final witness was called? Uh, the final witnesses were called to the stand on Monday, um, which was leadership for NAR and Keller Williams being sig- uh, signaled out um, for lack of institutional control related to violations of commission rules. So. Let's unpack that next. Let's take a quick break. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. You shouldn't have to deal with all the red tape when getting your mortgage from a big or online bank. At Mortgage America, we have access to big bank money, but with the personalized and detailed service of a local bank. We are here in your community and ready to serve with fast settlements, low down payment options, and first-time homebuyer programs. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. For more information, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet. As PHFA's number one lender, we specialize in all residential mortgage programs, including first-time buyer programs and low-down payment options. For your free pre-approval, call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com. I'm Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. If you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater Philly area, I have a special offer for you. Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool sales group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's tomtoolwithane.com. Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time and she's Stacey Mitchell. We got Nick Wolf behind the camera. We all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we stream the show live every week on YouTube. So if you get some value out of it, you like what you hear, or you got a question, make sure to subscribe to the channel, comment, give us a like. We're jumping back in to the Sitzer Burnett first week commission lawsuit. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> Tried to upstage Sarah's amazing sound effect from the first segment, which I could not do. So, so we, we, we know what's happened so far. Just to, just to recap, uh, that the focus of a lot of the testimony with some of the major companies, the CEOs, Remax, KW, were training scripts that were used and putting commission numbers in there. Uh, then they had all the plaintiffs testify, and it seems like they were really confused about why they were even there. I mean, I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I it, it's all very interesting to me that this is the people that they decided to 
put up. But again, you have to find someone that's going to be willing to have been named in a class action lawsuit, which I think is a tall order for a lot of folks. So here's what happened on Monday. And again, this is going on this week. They're expecting November 6th or so to have a have a, have a decision on the case. So the following people were called to the stand on Monday. So leadership for NAR um, and, uh, and, 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 and they were actually, excuse me. So attorneys for the plaintiffs tried to convince the jury of the following. So one was leadership of NAR, the National Association of Realtors, was alerted to concerns about antitrust violations but failed to investigate. And Keller Williams was singled out for lacking in institutional control related to violations of commission rules. So here is um, a couple. I'm just going to give you a quick hit of these last uh, three witnesses that were on. Then you can kind of give me your uh, your. Uh, reaction to it, ladies. So the first is Linda O'Connor, former former member of NAR and the Professional Standards Committee. She sent an email to committee leaders in 2012 with her concerns about antitrust law violations, and apparently the committee did not investigate those concerns. Then Cliff Niersbach, who served as an associate general counsel for NAR from 1975 to 2016, testified that NAR received dozens, if not hundreds, of suggestions making it difficult to address each individual concern, but he acknowledged the legal team did not investigate O'Connor's report. And then uh, Daryl King, who served as director of compliance for KW from 2006 to 2015, also testified saying KW did not have an antitrust policy. It was later pointed out that such a policy did exist for the agents. So let's talk about NAR first. What do you think about these concerns being voiced and a lack of investigation by NAR. It's not the first time that that has happened. <laughs> Tell us more, Stacey. <laughs> well, you know, it's it seems like there's a total breakdown within NAR. And they're, I don't know, where, wherever the message comes in and then it gets to, or it doesn't get to the people in charge, the higher ups, or they just, or it does and they just totally ignore it. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the breakdown is, but there's a serious breakdown uh, it happened with the um, allegations of the sexual harassment. Uh, harassment. Yes, because apparently there was many, many complaints mm-hmm. and um, they either went unheard or ignored. So this is not a, a surprise that this happened. Right. I mean, I think that when you are, um, you know, a company of of this size um, and you have all of these, you know, you're you're up at the top. If there is a like hire more people if you need more people Mm -hmm. to prevent stuff from slipping through. Like it shouldn't just be getting like pushed, pushed aside. Like if you need to hire additional people to make sure that you're compliant and following each one of these steps, it's probably a better move than uh, having to go to trial over it. Exactly. Yes. Well said. (laughs) Um, I I tend to agree here that, I mean, it's, it's another example of NAR, just, just not following through on things. And, and Sarah, you said it best. Like any company, any, you, get, you get a concern like this. Yeah. You've got to take these things seriously. And uh, you'd be surprised the kind of concerns that get raised in a company of like, now NAR is a trade organization. They're not a company, but they operate like a company. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's just be, be super clear. I, anytime you'd be surprised the complaints you get about things. Mm-hmm. I can speak from experience yeah. on this stuff. Like, I mean, you blow your mind to some of the stuff I've heard. And you got to investigate them because if you don't take these things seriously – then you might have a bigger problem on your hands. It could right. be not a big issue. Obviously, they they voiced a concern here. So, 
I, I think there is some merit to that to a certain extent. But again, who knows what the violations were, like what the what the background is. But right. you got to you got to investigate them. What about the 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 KW? Um, th- th- this is fascinating to me. So the director of compliance saying we don't have an antitrust policy, but then the company has an antitrust policy for agents. Like, how, how does that even happen at a company? And how are you right. not prepped for this for the cross examination? Right. Yeah, right. It's, it's mind boggling. <laughs> right. Like you knew you were coming to trial for this. It's not right. like it was just like a reporter got you on the street when you weren't expecting it and nothing was going on with it. You know, like. Right. So he was the director of compliance from 2006 to 2015. Mm-hmm. He said they did not have an antitrust policy, but they do. But they do. So is he trying to claim that during his tenure there from 2006 to 2015, they didn't have one, but all of a sudden after he left in 2016, they adopted one? I don't understand. So there again, there's a major disconnect. Yeah. And yeah. So maybe what he was saying, I don't know, when did they, when did they have their antitrust policy in place? Right. That I don't know. Um, what I do know here is that, I mean, this is literally what's, this is from uh, realestatenews.com. Stefan Swan, Stefan Swanpole uh, is a big believer on this, uh, or he's, he's behind this site here. Um, and it, it just says that there was, basically, I just restated everything. I don't think there's there's much there. So I think the challenge is, like, I, I one of the things that came up in the Gary Keller testimony was that they were saying, they had a percentage in there for commissions, and they said, well, you could do this or you do that. There's all these scripts we learned about how to protect your fee. That's what that, that's any sales job, by the right. way. I don't think yep. – and it's always, you know, it, it's presenting options, letting people make decisions. And if, you know, if people don't believe – that if, if they think Gary Keller is the one telling him what to charge and what not to charge, like he's like, I, you got to be kidding me with this. Right. That's not how it works. So I, I think the challenge is you got to have policies in place for when this stuff happens. And I, I'd liken this to having an HR policy, right? When mm-hmm. a company gets to a certain size, when like two to five people and going to like 15, well, you better have this stuff in place because you don't know what's going to go on. And things can get a little un- uncomfortable in, in that regard. So I think that that's just a, a corporate mistake by KW. That, mm-hmm. That's my observation there. So here's the last part. We got three minutes here. I want to I get through this. Um, so the defense began its case. And I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of four bullet points here and get your reaction. So um, the uh, attorneys for NAR called their first witness, and the first was Sharon Millett, the former NAR president. She testified about the cooperation compensation rule, which was issued in a report that recommended NAR change the rule in the early 1990s, and the rule was changed to 1996. That's where you offer out a, a commission to the buyer agent. Uh, Attorney McGill, um, who uh, he asked for um, the judge to rule in favor of home services and its subsidiaries. He claimed that the uh, plaintiffs failed to find evidence of any kind indicating the franchisor's involvement in a conspiracy. Uh, NAR CEO, and Attorney McGill was an, an attorney for home services. Uh, NAR CEO Bob Goldberg testified to end the afternoon, emphasizing NAR's trade organization role and independence of state and local associations. He also stated NAR does not instruct members on commission rates, and he addressed su- the suggestion that NAR's incentive in the alleged conspiracy was, maintain, was to maintain dues revenue. And he refuted this by explaining that NAR revenue is not commission-dependent as they receive $150 in annual dues per member regardless of what the member charges or earns. What do you think about this? 
Well, I think he's correct in uh, Goldberg in his assessment that he doesn't get any, it's not commission dependent for us to be members. Right. <laughs> so there is that, that is a true statement yeah. there. Um, I find it fascinating that he was on the, on the stand testifying. I'm wondering for the plaintiffs who had attorneys, how did they negotiate their fee? <laughs> Most of this money that's is good. going to attorneys if you yes. look at right. this. I mean, right. that, that's the challenge here. And right. I think that's why this whole lawsuit is is very nonsensical. And some of the stuff coming out here, it, as, a, as a logical person, it does not make sense to me. Right. Yes. We'll keep covering this. If you want to follow Stacy on Instagram, she's at the number two Mitchco. You can follow Sarah at Ty underscore Ty Time on Instagram. You can follow me at TomTool3RD. And again, we're streaming live every week on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. If you liked what you heard, you got some value out of this, subscribe to the channel on YouTube. And that's it for this week's episode of Tool Time Real Estate Radio. We'll be back next week on WWDB 860 AM.